if you're still sore from last year's softball tournament. We plan it out every year so that you have time to recuperate. So for those of you who feel your age when you play things like that. So, well, this morning, if you take out your listening guide, um, I lost mine, but oh, here it is. You take this out you follow along and uh, on the back side, you'll see heart attitude number six and we're going to be bringing it up here on the screen here. It is basically, we've been talking about our core values as a church, why, um, like how we relate to each other and to the organization. And so we've, every week we've been looking at one by one our seven core values, which are known as the OCC heart attitudes. And so um, I'm going to give you a quick summary. Put the goals and interests of others above my own is the first one. Live an honest and open life is the second one. Give and receive scriptural correction is the third. The fourth is clear up relationships. The fifth is participate in the ministry of the church. And the sixth is this one, support the work financially. And so we've been looking at these, and we have one more week um, next week, but we've been looking at these to really answer the question of um, who we are, how we relate to each other. These uh, seven core values are actually commitments that our church members make. So if you attend here and you're you're investigating membership or really making this your church family, um, these things are really important to us. This is things that we want to define the way that we do church life, both in our relationships and then in the way that we relate to the whole organization. Um, this morning's message is, is really talking about finances and stewardship. And so supporting the work financially is a statement that we um, you know, ask you to be willing as a member to, to be a part of. And if I were editing down the Bible, I probably would have trimmed back on the money um, issue because of how much it comes up and how offensive and potentially um, just, you know, personal this, these types of passages get. They're very personal passages. And so we walk away sometimes feeling really guilty. Um, there are two topics that people would prefer um, that the church not discuss. The first one is sex, and the second one is money. And actually, there's a church talking about sex right now. And uh, the pastor was written letters and had phone calls from other pastors saying, you shouldn't be talking about that. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible talks about sex, so you should be talking about sex. And the difference is, when you talk about sex, people say you shouldn't talk about that in church, but they actually want to come. And so it definitely will attract a crowd. When you talk about money, nobody wants to come. (laughs) <laughs> and they still don't want you to talk about it. But we are talking about <laughs> stewardship this morning. And so um, we typically think of Scripture and God, that he should be involved in our comfort, and the Bible, and the church should be involved in, in helping us grow. And we think of, you know, God is all about grace and love. And the rest of us, we can talk about money. But we usually don't like when the... the sacred and the secular mix. We want money to be somewhat of a talk that we can have outside of the church, but in reality, God has a lot to say, an awful lot to say about this topic in Scripture. Um, But if you're a guest, um, we just want to just let you know you can relax. We're not going to chain the doors. I have heard that there has been church services where they'll take an offering, and then they'll count the offering. And if it's not enough to cover, then they they lock the doors and they take it again. (laughs) We don't do that, so (laughs) just relax. Relax. We're not going to do that this morning. So um, feel free to slip out any time, and, and we won't be offended. So well, let's look at this together. Let's start by looking at two foundational ideas from Scripture. Uh, the first one is this. It's that the people of God have always paved the way for the work of God. 
This has always been the case. The people of God have always resourced or paved the way for the work of God to be carried out. In the Old Testament, um, giving from God's people went to support the work of God. It went to support um, the work and the workers, known as the Levites or the priests. Um, it supported their well-being. It, su- it supported their livelihood so they could live. The people who worked in the temple and the, the Levites, some of them were priests. They were from a certain lineage. The Levites had um, needs just like the priests had needs. So both those groups of people were supported through God's people collectively, um, financially giving and contributing to their well-being. So God's people were told this in Leviticus 27.30 about the tithe. The tithe, it says, or a tithe, which is a tenth of everything from the Lord, everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. There's something that God's people understood about the tithe, the tithe being the tenth. This phrase belongs to the Lord. What it implies is it's, it's not for them. It's not for the people. It actually belongs to God. A percentage, actually all of it belongs to God, but he makes it very clear that there's a certain percentage does not at all get messed with. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to them. That tenth, that tithe, it's, it's called holy, and it was to be set apart, separated, and given to God and used for no other purpose. God's people really understood and respected this. But actually, the the people of God, the Israelites, God's people, were required to give three different tithes. I want to briefly explain what those were. The first tithe that they were required to give was to support the Levites and the priests, the people who carried out the work of God in the temple. So those who had the spiritual duty or the office, they were supported through the first tithe. The second tithe, which was another tenth, so if, if you have... What you have, and a tenth goes to support the workers. Another tenth for them went to support what was called the festival tithe. And the festival tithe would support the different religious festivals, the remembrances and celebrations that God's people would have to celebrate God's history of faithfulness amongst his people. And so anytime they gathered for a festival, they had the resources from the second tithe to celebrate together. So, hey, we're going to have a party. Everyone's pitching in, in a sense, to celebrate at the festival. That was known as the festival tithe, the second tithe. There was a third tithe that the Israelites had. And so a third tithe that came up only every three years, it came up to support the poor. Those who were less fortunate, orphans, widows. So there was to be, again, the typical Israelite family was to hold back another tithe that they would set it aside. They would they would give it every three years, but it was storing up so that one, when people came that were in need, truly in need, they had resources to help, but then also collections would be given in order to support the poor among God's people. And this system, this system worked really well as, as Israel was obedient. Um, the priests and the Levites were supported. They did, their needs were met. They could live. The festivals were celebrated. You know, and, and they had resources to do it. The poor was cared for. But then out of disobedience, the people of Israel grew cold towards many things, not just in their giving, but in other areas. They started ignoring and they weren't careful to obey everything that they'd been commanded to obey. And so one of the areas was the tithe. They began robbing God in the tithe. And what happened over time, not just from that area, but from lots of disobedience, God allowed that group, his people, to be taken captive, hostage, and eventually exiled, kicked out of their land, taken as foreigners to another land. And over time, God allowed some to come back and to be restored back into their land. And when, when the returning group came back in to their land, 
the priority for most people was their own well-being. I've got to rebuild my house. got to rebuild my life. got to rebuild for me. And so they're rebuilding their lives. All the while, the religious factor or all the spiritual work was being ignored and neglected. So the temple wasn't being, you know, the temple was in rubble. The wall around Jerusalem was in rubble. The priests were not being provided for. The Levites, so all this spiritual stuff was being ignored. And so there's this condemnation where they were told, you know, we need to get back to supporting God's work because the people of God have always paved the way for the work of God. God didn't change his mind on how he's going to get things done. And so the people of Israel made a commitment. In Nehemiah 10.39, they made this commitment at the end of a covenant where they said, we will not neglect the house of our God. They decided we're going to pitch in again and we're personally going to support God's work. They recommitted to it. In the New Testament, see, that's the pattern in the Old Testament. God gets his work done through his people being generous and giving. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, Paul picks up from this whole idea that you find throughout the Old Testament about the work of God being provided by the people of God. And he says this is still what happens in the New Testament. So 1 Corinthians 9, it's a, it's a chapter about how, again, the pastors and the leaders, the spiritual leaders were being provided for by the church. And Paul reminded them, hey, don't punish the spiritual leaders of the church when the fact that they have needs and need to be supported. They're giving themselves this. So look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar, they share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So when the, peace are, the priests are eating the food in the temple, Paul is saying, don't punish them. They're carrying out the work of God, and God has always provided for His work to be done through His people collectively. And so that's one foundational idea that, that needs to be understood. Second idea is this. There has always existed a relationship of reciprocity with God and His people. Now, I just learned that I may have just made up this word. But I think it's a word. Reciprocity, isn't it? Yeah, okay, there's some heads. Okay, so I didn't make it up. I didn't think it was made up. But I was willing to work with it if it was made up. I would have explained it anyway. Reciprocity means mutual exchange. Something is, come. it comes my way, I send it back. Is the idea of reciprocity. It comes to me, I send it back. I want to help you understand the way this works in our relationship to God. First, look at this quote. Karl Barth, German theologian, he said this, Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. So God's grace, it comes to us. Gratitude, it it goes along with it. It, Gratitude back to Him. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. This is the relationship of reciprocity that we have with God. He's been so generous and gracious with us, so we, in turn, we give back to Him. That's how, that's how it works. There's this phrase, it's almost like a Christian bumper sticker, that goes like this. He died for me, I'll live for Him. You've probably seen that on bumper stickers or Christian t-shirts. It, it may sound cliche, but that's actually in the Scripture. It's built on scriptural truth. And this idea of the relationship of reciprocity. He died for me. I'll live for him. Look at these verses. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all. Before you go on, actually, before you pause. If you're wondering, how is he going to get through all this? I'm not. I'm not going to get through all this today. The backside is for your own Bible study. And so you can work through that on your own. So in case you're worried about the time, we're okay. 
Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died for us. It's coming. That's what's come to us. He's died for us. I'm going to live for him. Or look at Galatians 2.20. Same idea. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the same idea. He gave himself for me. I died to myself. I'm giving my life to him. So you see this as it relates to us and God, but you also see this in relation to, to, to us as a church supporting God's work, his church, or his churches even, and his workers. So there was something known as the offering to the church in Jerusalem. Um, pull up this next slide here. You'll see there's a, I think there's a verse from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. The church in Jerusalem is kind of like the mother church. It's the parent church where all things kind of grew up out of initially. Okay, And so a lot of the churches that sprouted up were in very many ways indebted to the church in Jerusalem because of the leaders, the teaching, the instruction that came out of this one church. But to, to live and to practice your Christian faith in Jerusalem was a very hostile environment. And so it forced a lot of Christians to go underground. There was a lot of religious persecution. And the closer you were to, to the persecution, the more your faith had to somewhat be... Um, you couldn't just be out in public. It was, it was a lot more. And so people were dying. There was martyrs in those days. People lost their land, their properties. And so there was a lot of struggle in Jerusalem to just survive. Now, other areas where Christianity sprouted up, Asia Minor, heading you know, off into Greece and towards Rome, um, some of those churches actually did okay financially. There was still religious persecution, but Jerusalem experienced a tremendous amount of persecution. And so their financial needs were many. They were just struggling to make it. And so Paul, once he learned of this, he began to spread the word to all the churches in Asia Minor and in Greece. And he said, hey, we, w- we need to support our, our parent church, our mother church. That's the relationship of reciprocity. They gave to us. They invested in us. They're teaching their leadership. And now we need to give back to them. There's this understanding of that in Scripture. So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 16.1, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Go ahead and flip to the next one. There it is. Oh, wait, no, not that one. Sorry. But the second part of Galatians chapter, or 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it has the idea of the churches that were not in Jerusalem, but the other churches needed to be setting aside some money to consider the needs of this other church. This is why we're sending a group of people to Church in the Valley today. Our parent church, our sponsor church, the mother church for us, they gave so generously to us to get started. Many of you have no idea who they are. You've never met them. You may not know their pastor. You may not know anyone from their church. And so it may not make sense why we're doing this. This is why we're doing it. It's a relationship of reciprocity. They've been generous to us. Now we want to give back to them. We want to serve in very, very practical ways. I've actually found out, because they're planting another church next Sunday. It's going to be in L.A. And they're sending 90 people um, from their church to, to be part of that plant. And so they're going to be starting once a month. They're going to have preview services. And then they're going to have a grand opening and launch weekly next in February. But once a month, they're going to be doing these big preview services out in L.A. They're sending 90 of their own people to, 
to get this thing launched. Well, that leaves a lot of holes at the Church in the Valley main site, and so um, there, there may be some more ways we can serve um, in the next five to six months of sending teams of people to just be helping so that they can, their needs can be met. But that's the same idea, the relationship of reciprocity. Paul says this to the church in Galatians. He says, Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with the instructor. I, God's used this verse many times in my life as it relates to my leader, Randy. Because I've seen, I, I just think about, man, there's opportunities for me to share. Now, honestly, this kind of a verse and this whole idea, this is where most Americans go, I, I can't take that. I've had that. And this is where you might personally just begin to struggle with an attitude because this whole idea we have nearly lost in the American church. We've all but nearly lost this idea of caring about others and carrying out the work that must be done. Because for us, it's so much more about the individual. It's so much more about our church. It's so much more about me. But if you're a follower of Christ, God is trying to get at your heart through your resources. He's changing, he's growing, he's challenging things in you through the way you handle your stewardship. If you follow Christ, this is one of the things that God asks of you, is this point here. God expects stewards to be faithful. Those two foundational ideas are really important to first understand, but then for all of us that do follow him, God expects that all of us be found faithful. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Paul says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The word steward, you can write the word manager above that point. Because that's what it means to be a steward. You're managing. God has entrusted many things to your care. He's entrusted time to your care. You have a certain amount of time He's entrusted to you. He wants you to steward that, manage that time really well. He's entrusted talents and abilities and, and even faith. A message about Him. He's entrusted some things to you. He wants you to steward that well and do something with it. He's also entrusted Money finances to us all, a certain amount. And whatever that currently is, he expects us to be good managers of all of it. All 100% of whatever he's entrusted. The idea here is he wants us to manage his money well. When we understand stewardship, well, one of the things you need to get is that this is, this is all his. It all belongs to him. So if we're his stewards, what he's essentially saying is, you are my money managers on the earth. I want you to act as if I'm doing this. I want you to do what I would do with these resources in the way that you steward this money. This is not just for you to do what you want. I want you to steward in the way that I would. That's what a manager does. He checks in with the boss and figures out, what, are you, what do you want me to accomplish with this money? That's the idea. And these stewardships is how he grows us. In fact, he uses our stewardships to test and to develop us. Look at Luke 16, verse 10. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little will also be, can also be trusted with much. There's a test. When you, when you can handle a little, you can handle more. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. He's testing us. I remember in college when I made sixty-two fifty every two weeks to be a resident assistant. And I would get that check and I'm like, man, got to make this stretch for two weeks. And, you know, like, it could go really quick. A pair of shoes, gone. I mean, gone really quick. A couple of pizzas, soda, you know, a couple times going out, gone. Anything you want to go buy at the mall, gone. I mean, so I remember thinking, oh, it's just not enough. But whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
He's entrusted whatever that is for you currently, a certain amount to you. And it's not about how much He's given you right now. The point is He's entrusted right now a certain amount for you to be faithful with. Whatever that is. Next point here, verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now this is Jesus talking. He says, if this test of money is actually a test for more important things, if you can be trusted with resources like money, then, then he's saying, I can trust you with things like people, things that have true value. Maybe right now it's hard not to be irresponsible in the way that you steward because maybe right now you're not responsible for anyone else. And so in your mind, you might think, well, I, I'll, I'll be responsible when I have a family, when I have people that are counting on me to be responsible. I only live once. You know, but the future, the future depends on the present. Verse 12, look at verse 12. If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Don't just look at faithfulness as being important when you're living your dream life. Right now, you might be stewarding stuff that you're just, you recognize, I'm just managing stuff. And the life you might be living, the job you may be working, the resources you may have, maybe you're stewarding someone else's stuff and so you're having a hard time stewarding it because it's not what you'd like to be doing in your dream life, in your dream job. Maybe right now you're not living your dream. Maybe you're not living your purpose. Right now, if you're living someone else's purpose, it's okay. Be faithful with someone else's purpose. You know what? Honestly, be faithful with someone else's dream and purpose. That's the stewardship you've been given right now. Don't wait till when I live my purpose, then I'll be faithful. When I'm living my dream, when I'm doing what I want to do, then I'll do it. To do that is to be unfaithful now. These are tests right now to develop us. Another key idea for us as Americans to understand is that we live in one of the wealthiest nations of the world. Most of us in this room are wealthier than the rest of the world. Did you know that if you make over $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 84% of the rest of the world? Just $10,000. If if you make over $50,000 a year, you are wealthier than more than 99% of the rest of the world. So we live in this blessed nation. And here's something else to keep in mind. God gives increase to grow our generosity. We assume that when we get raises, when we have financial progress, we think, man, that's great. It means more for me. But here's what God says for us to consider. As our finances go up, if your finances do increase, here's what God says to those of us who are rich, which I'm going to include everyone here in that category of rich. Whether or not you think you're rich among American standard, for the fact that you know the, rest, the wealth of the rest of the world, most of us have more than we need. Look at what, what we're told. Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. That's practically all of us. Not to be arrogant, because that's what typically happens when our, when our riches start increasing. I get arrogant. You get arrogant. We start thinking, wow, man, look at all that I deserve now, because I make so much more. Look at what I deserve. And so rather than serving and sharing and giving, we think, that's someone else's concern. That's someone else's job. I don't need to do that anymore. I've arrived at a certain point. Arrogance rises up within us. Or, he says, nor to put their hope in wealth. That's another thing that tempts us whenever we see increase, is we start putting our hope in riches. He says, which it's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us for everything, for our enjoyment. 
Verse 18, command, not urge, but command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This next section right here, I just wanted to show you, um, you can do your own Bible study. These are guidelines for giving as it relates in the New Testament. These are all things, you can study this on your own. But I'm not going to walk through all these verses. Christians give. Christians give generously. Christians give regularly and systematically. Christians give voluntarily. Not being just, I'm giving out of pressure, I'm, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm begrudging. No, they give voluntarily. Also, they give joyfully. There's an attitude, there's a heart attitude tied to our giving. We give as an act of worship, the Scripture says. We give proportionally, like in keeping with our income. We don't tip God, but we actually plan to give proportionally. We give sacrificially. That means it hurts. Giving, you know, it, it cuts into our lives. We give quietly. We don't broadcast all that we do in that area. We, we give before the Lord. So there's all these different guidelines. I'd really encourage you to, to read through these passages and look more carefully at them. But this is our heart attitude. Number six, support the work financially. I'd like you to hear from two different couples from our congregation. You guys can make your way up here. Because this is a very, very difficult area. And I just ask them to answer three questions that you'll see up on the screen here. So this is Jared and Veronica Lewis, and um, newly married, somewhat. Year and a couple months. Year and a couple months. This is Bruce and Cheryl Stewart, newly married. <laughs> how, how many years have you guys been married? Twenty-three years. So I wanted to give you um, an uh, an opportunity to hear from people in our congregation who are thinking through the areas of stewardship, giving, money management. Wrestling with the, just the issues that we have to, to face. So first question is, why is it so difficult to steward well in our American culture? Because stewarding is not an American thing. And so why is it so difficult to do this in our American culture? Jared? Um, so first service, obviously, you asked the same question. And so when I was thinking about it, um, there's a lot of emotions that come up when we talk about money. And uh, I was getting them kind of like a little scared. I don't know what to say or anything. But I think that's that's one thing that America has is that it's it's emotionally based. That you get money and it's it's such a hard emotion that Americans tend to want to be very selfish with that. Their emotions are very selfish with the money. And uh, you know, like a year and a couple months into marriage, we want to be and we have double income, more money than we've had ever. And so we want to be a little selfish with that. We don't want to give because we're like, we worked so hard to get to this point and now now we have to be stewards or managers of that. And so we're kind of living it all the time. We have to fight it consistently just not to be emotionally driven by it and to want just our own uh, selfish needs and stuff. He, he works for Apple. And so I would yeah. imagine that the struggle is strong. <laughs> In, not incredibly spend. strong. <laughs> exactly. Although. How about for you two? Well, I, I think for us, uh, there, there are a lot of draws, and uh, we were raising four daughters, and uh, that's expensive, as everybody knows. 
but there are a lot of draws in, on us personally. Uh, when we would look around, you know, we see stuff, the advertisements of, wow, that's a, a time-saving device. We've got to have it. And so we, we were not always really responsible with our money because uh, we saw things and we needed it. And a second, how, how has your view of spending and giving changed as you've grown in your understanding of stewardship? Um, well, growing up as a Christian, I've learned there's cues to know when my perspective needs to be changed. Growing up in church, I've learned that where my money goes is where my priorities lie, and God should be my number one priority. So if I've accumulated just a ton of stuff for myself, I know that my priority right now at that point is myself. And to combat that, to combat that selfishness, to giving is the way to combat that. For us, we made a lot of wrong choices financially. We went for uh, greed more than need. And it was only in the recent years we went through a, a teaching on it. And the first thing they had us do was memorize the scripture from First Chronicles 29:11 that says, Everything uh, in the heavens and earth is yours, O God. And so then there was a lot of scripture, a lot that was even shown today, and that we, we read about and we learned about. And everything is everything. So we listed every, everything in our home, in the garage, in cupboards, tucked away, jewelry, whatever. Because all of a sudden this realization, it's not ours, and we don't need to accumulate more. And we gave it back to the Lord, and it totally changed our perspective. And at that point, I was willing, because I think Bruce has always been really good, but I was willing to introduce the word budget into our lifestyle, <laughs> because that, we didn't even talk about that one. And then it was months later that we learned how to implement the numbers. And we've always been able to give um, as far as back to the Lord, but we use our money to the bitter end. And now there's freedom, there's peace, and it's just a huge perspective change because we know it's God's. And now we can say, Lord, what do you want us to do with this? And last question here. What, what have you guys learned about God's character as you've set out to obey him? Well, in, in marriage, I am now the manager of, of the money that comes in between us. And, uh, and I, I always figured that God's character was if, if you give, you'll uh, get a blessing for that, right? So if you give a tithe and everything, God will bless you and your needs and everything. But beyond that side of God, I've, I kind of felt that um, he's kind of pushing me a little bit in growth. So if I, if I get this money coming in and I can be um, uh, kind of... I stress out a little bit just having money coming in and it's meeting our needs fully, but then there's extra. And so the extra is the God's like, what are you going to do now? And he's, I think he's trying to grow me and Veronica both um, as the money comes in and trying to grow and just put pressure on us and say, you can do whatever you want. But it's, it's, it's kind of his idea what he wants to do with it. I, I think what I've discovered is, uh, you know, all the aspects of Christ, uh, who he is who his characteristics or what his characteristics are. You know, his uh, faithfulness, uh, loving, gentle, and uh, peace, and uh, probably, you know, pretty much he redeems us from the mistakes that we've made in the past. He redeemed us from that. And I think probably the, the biggest thing that we've gleaned out of, uh, out of budgeting and doing things right with our money is probably peace. And uh, the peace that comes from the Lord and the peace from from knowing where your money's going and how it's going and that it's available for the next thing that doesn't come as a surprise. You know, like, you know, for instance, 
you know, it was always a surprise when the tags would be due for automobiles. Well, it shouldn't be. You know, it's once a year. But now we budget for it, and it's there. So it's a neat thing. Thank you. Can I add something you want to add? Sure. Um, what I've learned about God's character is that he's really faithful with stuff that I have no control over um, financially. Um, well, I work for the city of San Bernardino Water Department. I don't know if you guys know recently it's just gone bankrupt. So, And I was on probation when it went bankrupt. So I was really nervous that the newbies would be cut. So, But it turns out financially that the water department's not connected to the city whatsoever. And I don't have any control over that. So God took care of Jared and I financially. Just, you know, I don't have any control of that. So it's really great to know that God will just be there when we need him. Thank you guys for sharing. Both couples. I had originally wanted to do this through video, and it just wasn't able to materialize. And so I appreciate these four being willing to step up on stage and do it live. Um, in a day's notice. So, um, I, if we're, we're pretty much wrapped up. So, Cody, if you can come on up. If you are a college student, if you're a college student or you're a young person, you feel like I'm just getting started right now. One of the things I'd really encourage you in is to just be faithful with the little God has entrusted you. Build a pattern of faithfulness. Don't wait until conditions are perfect. Be faithful with what God has provided. And then if 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 you are far into your life, if you're far into your career, if you're in retirement or you feel like you're just, um, you're almost in retirement, you might be at that point where you have regrets as it relates to this area of stewardship. If you're, if you're regretting a lot, don't grieve over your past. Just start from where you're at. Be faithful from where you're at. I was encouraged to hear what both of them, you know, at the different stages of those couples had, had to share as it relates to our stewardship. So go ahead and take out this white card and flip it to the back. There's some next steps here. And the first next step you see that you might consider as an application this morning is prayerfully examine my pattern of giving. Just take it before the Lord. You, if there's just one of you, if there's a family, pray about that. Second, evaluate my attitude towards giving. I think very important. The pattern can be there, but the attitude might be totally wrong. And so if the pattern's there, but the attitude's off, then ask God, God, help me with my attitude as it relates to this whole area. He's really after the heart. Third, maybe you just feel like the step is I just need to begin being a faithful person with my stewarding. Fourth, develop a plan. It might be that, you know, God, I think you, you read a lot about the intentional side of giving in Scripture. It has a lot more to do with planning than it is just while there is opportunities for spontaneity and generosity, most of it's involving a plan. And so be thinking about how to grow in your generosity through the years. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day, for this time we've been able to look at heart attitude number six. And I pray that, Lord, you would make applications in our lives in ways that um, are best for our growth. And to continue to use us, God, as your people who are um, in many ways paving your work, Lord, as you as you nudge us in that direction to use our resources to steward well, Lord, to, to accomplish the things you're trying to do in this world. Lord, I thank you for this group of people that you've um, assembled, that we call ourselves the church. I thank you for the many people that have banded together, Lord, to just link arms and say, hey, we're in this together. We're going to reach people together. We're going to help people turn away from 
a life of sin and, and a life that eventually leads to separation from you in all eternity apart from you in hell. Lord, I thank you that there's a group of people that have said, this mission is too important to let that happen. I need to get in the game. I need to be a part and I want to be counted on. But thank you for those people here that have made that commitment part of our body here. And I pray that you'd move more people to make deeper commitments in their spiritual walk. Lord, we just thank you for speaking in this time. We worship you, in Jesus' name. Amen.